Revelation 12, war in heaven, troubles on earth. This chapter reveals to us why we have trouble here on earth. And the reason we have troubles here on earth is because there was war in heaven. So this is a critical chapter in the book of Revelation. It's basically right about in the middle of, it, of, of, of Revelation. And it stands as a middle line, divider line between the first portion of Revelation and the last portion of Revelation. The first portion of Revelation went, kept repeating itself over and over again. There would be a section that would go from John's day to the end of time, such as the seven congregations and then the seven seals from John's day to the end of time, seven trumpets from John's day to the end of time. And then we come to Revelation 12, and this not only goes from John's day to the end of time, but it goes from beginning not the very beginning, but uh, before the beginning of even this earth to the end of time as we understand it on this earth. And, uh, and so it broadens the spectrum, expands it out, and then the chapters that will continue on after this chapter will focus laser targeting on last day events. And, uh, and now the section we're looking at here, Revelation 12, we're not going to look at the whole chapter today. We're going to look at a, really a parenthetical statement within the middle of the chapter uh, where uh, God starts to instruct John about this war in heaven. And it's very important for us to understand this war in heaven because if we don't understand this war in heaven, we won't understand the troubles we're having on this earth. Because again, the troubles we're having on this earth are because of that war in heaven. And so if we don't understand that, don't accept it, don't believe it, then we will not be able to understand the wars and problems taking place here. So it's a critical chapter, and we're going to see it's going to span us. We're going to look at uh, verses throughout the Bible. So let's get into it. In Revelation 12, verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. So this major battle taking place, this galactic battle taking place in heaven and they're battling out, these angels are battling out with their leaders, battling it out. So it's a real life war is the word that's described. It's a more than a battle, more than a disagreement, more than a theological discussion. They went to war against each other. And as we'll see, uh, everything was on the line in this war. And it happened in heaven. We could say, how on earth could war happen in heaven? Heaven is heaven, right? And heaven's supposed to be great. But yes, even war was able to take place in heaven, right at God's feet. Verse 8, but they did not, the, the devil and his angels did not prevail, nor was place found for them in heaven any longer. So they lose that battle of that war and they get, Cast out of heaven, they're not allowed in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. So Satan, Hasatan, the adversary, uh, the devil, evil himself, evil incarnate, was cast out um, of heaven, and he deceives the whole world world. So how much of the world has not been deceived by him? None. None. <laughs> he deceives the whole world. His deception has gone out across the whole world, the entire world. Actually, I guess we'll come back to that. Maybe there was one time period where it wasn't a full deception. But if we think we can't be deceived, we're in shaky ground because pride cometh before a fall. And the Bible tells us that he goes forth to deceive, and he does deceive the whole world. And that's why we have troubles here on this planet, because he has worked his deception into this world and into the minds of the whole world. All of us have been affected by his deceptions. Verse 9. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. 
So we have these angels being cast out, the devil and his angels, and they're cast out to this earth. And his tail, verses from verse 4, Revelation 12, still verse 4, his tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. So the, the, what's referred to as stars here is his angels, it's the angels that followed the devil. And so one third of the angels that were in heaven followed Satan and were cast to this earth. And sometimes when we talk about the devil, you know, people, the devil made me do it and, and uh, uh, get talking about the devil and, and, and what he has done. And, and one person said, uh, oh, you think there's a, a, a devil behind every rock? And another person said, no, I don't think there's a devil behind every rock. I think there's a lot to be at least two devils behind every rock. Because if one-third of the angels were cast out, I mean, how many angels are there? Revelation started with thousands of thousands and tens of thousands and ten, ten, times 10,000 angels. And that's what's left in heaven. And so if one-third of all the angels were cast down, to this little tiny planet. One third of all the angels that God had roaming throughout the entire universe, doing his biddings, and one third of them compacted down to just this one little tiny, tiny planet in one little galaxy in God's enormous universe. So they are going around deceiving the whole world. And if one-third of the angels who stood before God's throne could be deceived by Satan and follow him, how much more can human beings, including you and I, be deceived? Angels who never were tainted by sin, had never sinned, had followed God their entire existence, heard his voice, saw his face, and yet were tricked by the devil, even in heaven. That should give us pause for thought and wake us up to the reality of the dangers of the battles that we face here on this earth. And so how did he do it? How did he deceive one-third of the angels? I doubt that one day he just announced, I'm against God and God's a jerk and follow me. But deceptively, one by one, spreading innuendos, little negativity, little thoughts here and there, Dropping hints, we see examples in the Bible like Absalom sitting at the gate, not outwardly against his father, but just saying, let me hear your cause. And oh boy, you know, if I was the king, this is what I would do. I can't guarantee my dad the king would do for you what I would do for you. Just little things like that. Little words, little statements here and there, little glances as God is speaking to the multitudes. And one by one, picking them off until one-third are sold out following him. And maybe some of the other two-thirds had some doubts at that point still and weren't sure who to follow. But one-third were willing to go to war and not only willing, but went to war against God in heaven and were cast out. And he's going around deceiving the whole world, insinuating and dropping negativity and doubts and fears and promises to each one of us as well. Trying to draw us away from God as well. Trying to cast God in a negative light. And the things of this world, the sins of this world, in a better light. In Ezekiel chapter 28, it talks about Lucifer's character. Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So again, Revelation 12 has taken us before 
sin entered this world. And Ezekiel 28 is doing the same thing, talking about Lucifer before he had sinned. The seal of perfection, like the top of God's perfection, the seal of it, the cap of it. After he created Lucifer, he kind of sealed it off. This is perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. You were the anointed cherub who covers. You were on the holy mountain of God. This tells us a little bit more about him and his position in heaven. A covering, anointed cherub who covers. Where in the Bible do we read about a covering cherub? Where are covering cherubs mentioned in the Bible? Where are they placed in the Bible? That's right, in the ark, above the ark, in God's sanctuary, in God's tabernacle. And we've been reading throughout Revelation about the heavenly sanctuary. I know with gold statues or gold images sitting upon a mercy seat, upon an ark, but actual angels on either side of God's throne, of his Shekinah glory, of his mercy seat. And Lucifer was one of those angels. That close to God, covering God, there to protect God, there to do his bidding, to hear his voice, to hear his discussions, always to be at his side, anointed cherub, covering God's throne. That's how close he was. Heard everything, saw everything, saw God's interaction, and even he was self-deceived. People think the only reason that people aren't going to sin during the thousand years is because Satan's going to be bound up. And well, if Satan's bound up, then there's no one to tempt us, and then no one won't sin. Well, according to that logic, then Lucifer couldn't have sinned. Because who was the devil wasn't there to tempt him? But he was self-deceived. We don't need the devil to deceive us to be deceived. We can be self-deceived, even though he was created perfect and the seal of perfection and perfect in all of his ways. Because in creating him perfect, part of the perfection of God's creation is giving the perfect gift of free choice. Because without free choice, he's not really a living being. He's a robot. But to be able to love, to be able to accept, to be able to follow, to be able to worship, also needs to have the ability to not worship, to not follow, to not love, to reject, to hate, to go against. God created him with all of those abilities, just as he's created you and me with those abilities as well. And Satan chose to listen to those negative thoughts and entertain them, even as he was looking at God's face and beholding the glory of God. wasn't enough for him to be in that position. He wanted more. Began to think of how beautiful he was. How exalted he was. And he wanted more. Ezekiel 28, verse 15. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. God didn't make any mistake in creating Lucifer as he created him. But he chose to allow iniquity to find a seat in his soul. To enter into his mind 
and he entertained it, and he allowed it to grow. He could have rejected it, but he chose not to. And here it's mentioned that he's a created being. He was created by God. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So here we see part of his fall. Began to admire his perfection. Began to admire his beauty. I don't have to worry about falling on that one. Got to keep some of us humble in other ways. <laughs> but he started to look at his beauty. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? He began to be puffed up because of his splendor and beauty and attributes. He began to compare himself with others. He began to compare himself with the other angels. He began to compare himself with God. Maybe God should have done this instead. Maybe it'd be better if things were this way. Maybe this color would be better here. Began to doubt. Began to think his thoughts were better than God's thoughts. His beauty was greater than God's beauty. We have to be careful on this point as well. Thinking we know more than others. Thinking we're better than others. Comparing ourselves with others. Comparing ourselves with ourselves. There's no wisdom in that dangerous. Being all concerned about our beauty and our looks and our self. There's a reason they call it a vanity. And being vain is not a good thing. But worrying about self and building it up becomes corrupted. We become corrupted in our own thoughts of our own wisdom and our own splendor, and our own beauty, and our own attributes. And so he not only was dissatisfied with his position and wanted more and exalting his beauty and comparing himself with others, he decided he could sit on God's throne. He knew more than God. And for that, we go to the book of Isaiah. Chapter 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. He wanted God's position. We wanted to be like God. That's one thing to emulate God. It's one thing to be, want to be godly. It's one thing to follow what the Bible says, be ye therefore holy as the Lord God, your, your Lord your God is holy. To allow God to fill us with his spirit. To let this mind be in us that was in Yeshua the Messiah. To have his desires, to have his thoughts, to have his He'd follow his purpose, to follow his plan, to be in harmony with God. That's all good. But Lucifer wanted more than that. He wanted to be God, to be the Most High, to be the one the angels adored, to receive the praise, to disperse his wisdom be in control, another dangerous desire to be controlling. And then he became, that's when he became from Lucifer to the devil, to Hasatan. He entertained the thoughts for a while, wanted to be like God, and began to get others on his side. We see that in rebellions all over the place. We see that in divisions all over the place. In civil wars. In nations. 
in states, in political parties, in congregations, in families. I think we're right, the other is wrong. I think we know better. We start getting other people on our side, getting people to take sides. Again, usually not open and blatant in the beginning. Little words here and there. Comments and facial expressions showing what we think and seeing who would agree with us and be on our side. And he becomes the devil. This, this chapter here gives us the history of the devil. And again, very important for us to understand. A lot of people don't believe in the devil. And if they don't believe in the devil, they won't understand why they go through troubles. They don't believe in the devil, they won't understand why there's troubles in this world. And again, if there was war in heaven, we should not be surprised that there's wars on this earth. And if God allowed there to be war in heaven, and he cast the devil and one-third of the angels down here, we should not be surprised that there's wars here on earth. And we should not be self-deluded that there won't be wars here on this earth. But when we understand why there are wars on this earth, why there is conflicts in our own minds and the debates that go on in our own heads and the battle that wages whether to follow God, whether to believe his word, what is right and what is wrong, what is truth and what is error, and what should we do and what should we think. And conviction comes into our mind, and then the thought to resist the conviction, these battles that take place in our mind, these were the very type of battles that started in Lucifer's head. And he yielded to the wrong side. And those wars take place in our souls, in our very innermost being, in our minds, in our hearts. But understanding where they originated and how they originated and how to gain the victory is crucial to gaining the victory. And the wars that take place in families and society, understanding the root. If we don't believe in the devil, we won't understand these things. And then we'll just yield to the thoughts in our heads and we'll just go with the flow. If it feels good, do it. Just do it. Whatever you want. Whatever your heart desires. We'll just follow the devil. There'll be no right, there'll be no wrong. There's no devil. There's no bad guy. There's no wrong. There's no sin. Even among professed believers in the Bible, most don't believe in the Bible. Or don't believe what the Bible says about the devil. A lot think he just walks around in a red suit with horns and has a tail. They think it's okay to play around on Halloween and dress their kids up as devils. They don't believe the reality that there are evil angels continually going around this world to deceive the world. And thus they're not prepared for the battle. If we don't know who the enemy is, we'll be open for attack. So the devil was cast out of heaven with one-third of his angels. And again, all of them cast right here. And I have no doubt that there's more evil angels on this planet than there are humans. But remember, it was one-third of the angels, which means there's still two-thirds on God's side, which makes God still more than a match for the devil. And so they came to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were to begin their deception here, to continue the war here, to take it up and to bring the battle here.
Adam and Eve, I believe, could have resisted them. And they would have lost again. And it would have been over. But they found a place where they could lodge. They found followers here. The Bible explains it to us. God warned Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That was pretty clear and pretty plain. Don't eat from that tree. Get all these other trees to eat from. But don't eat from that one. And Eve wandered over by that tree. I imagine she wandered away from Adam and began to look at that tree. God didn't say we couldn't look at it. He said, don't eat from it. It's a pretty tree. I wonder why he said, don't eat from that tree. I wonder what it is about that tree that's so bad. I wonder what's wrong with the fruit on that tree. I wonder what he meant about knowing good and evil. And those are the kind of thoughts that Satan puts in our minds. Well, what could be so bad? What could be so wrong about such and such? Why does the Bible say this is the way it has to be? Why can't it be some other way? Why does God say this? Why does he say this day? Why does he say that amount? Why does he say those foods? What would be so wrong with doing things a little differently than it says? Why does God have to be so specific? Doesn't look harmful to me. What would be wrong with desiring more and coveting more? I have a right to be angry after what they did to me. And we justify and begin to think, well, why is his ways so right? And that's what Eve started to do. Began to think about that tree. She probably stayed far away from it. And we should stay as far away from sin as we can. Don't get too as close to it as you can. Don't go to the edge of the road. Stay away from the edge. Don't play around with the devil and what we watch and what we read. Don't follow the ways of the world. Don't try and copy them. Don't desire what they desire. Desire heavenly things. A higher calling. And stay as far away as possible. Has, and so the serpent said to Eve, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Begins his deception, begins to question what God said. Did God actually say that? Could he actually mean that? And Eve answered, We may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden... God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. There's another problem. I don't remember God saying anything about touching it. But she adds this in here. That's why not to remove anything from the Bible or add anything to the Bible. She adds that in. And maybe then the serpent picks it up and goes, look, I'm touching it. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not hurting me. I'm not dying. And gets lured in to the deception. Follow the word of God. Don't add to or take away from. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. But what did God say? You would surely die. And he's directly contradicting what God said. You won't really be punished. God is so loving. He doesn't punish. He's all merciful. Isn't he loving? He won't denounce you. He won't reject you. You're okay. I'm okay. Everything's okay. 
If that's what you're wanting to do, if that's what you're thinking, don't worry about it. You won't surely die. And he has continued that lie, the very first lie. And he's continued to use that lie to this very day. And most people in this world don't believe they actually ever die. Just go on to another state. Whether reincarnation or nirvana or to heaven or to hell, but never really dying. But that's not what the Bible says. And we did a whole sermon on that when we looked at Daniel, chapter 12. The time of the dead that they should be judged. It's the first lie from the devil. You won't surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of your, it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now the Bible already tells us that God created them in his image. So she already was like God. But he says you'll be even more like God. And you'll know good and evil. You'll know things that God knows. And here with this sentence, he's insinuating something very, very deceptive. That God is withholding something from you, Eve. God has something good that he stores up just for himself, but he doesn't want you to have. But you can have it. I have it. See, I'm here. I'm, I'm touching the fruit. I'm eating the fruit, maybe. And now that's why I'm so wise. Have you ever seen a serpent talk? Look how wise I am. Look how beautiful I am. And you can be even better than you are. You can even be greater than you are. But God doesn't want you to be better. God doesn't want that for you. God's withholding that from you. And this was a key deception for her to take the next step. Because the picture that we have of God is the picture we will emulate. We think God is a cruel taskmaster. That's how we will treat other people. If we think God is just oh so forgiving and so loving and not just lets everything go and doesn't discipline anyone or anything, then that's how we will raise our children. And that's how we'll treat ourselves. We won't discipline ourselves. We won't hold ourselves accountable to anything. And if we think God is selfish, then we will be selfish. And so she said in her subconscious of her mind, God is withholding something. God is selfish. So I will do the same. I will take for myself as well. And thus she reaches out and grabs from the tree. So that she can also be like God. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so she saw the good tree was good for food, so maybe the serpent was eating it, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. It'll make me wiser. That's what they used to say about LSD. It'll make you more enlightened. The more wise, as it's killing your brain cells. It's amazing how some things get recirculated and retold. Make you wiser. So this will make me wiser. Make me like God. And so she took, selfishly, I want that. I want this. I want to eat this. I want to taste it. It looks pretty. I desire it. And she took it. And then she went and brought it to Eve and tempted him with it as well. And his choice was not the same exactly as her choice. Her choice was between obeying God and disobeying God, eating of the fruit and not eating the fruit. His, listening to the serpent or listening to God, his choice is whether to listen to Eve or listen to God whether to maintain and hold on to Eve and bear her fate or to lose her and to stay with God. 
I don't know exactly what God would have done if Adam were refused to eat eaten, eaten of it. But I guess he still had more ribs. And maybe that's how God gave us so many ribs, right? So that, uh, he could have another wife if he needed one. But Adam chose to bear his fate with Eve and ate of the truth tree as well. And they begin to know the knowledge of evil. Begin to feel shame. Begin, begin to feel guilt. Begin to feel woe. Some people think our problems were because of the tr- apple in the tree. It wasn't the apple in the tree that was the problem. It was the pear on the ground. <laughs> and we still have that problem today because of us here on this ground making wrong choices. And so they were cast out of the garden. God said to, God came after them and chased after them, looked for them, called them out. And Adam replied, the woman whom you gave to me, to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And so we have the blame game beginning. Adam blaming Eve, and in thus blaming Eve, he's really blaming God. The woman whom you gave me, if you would have given me a better woman, maybe you should have used a different rib or a different bone of my body instead. Give me someone better. But you gave me her, and because of her, she gave it to me, and I ate. And then Eve, she blames the serpent. And then, of course, the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. (laughs) But the blame then begins, and the blame continues today. Not my fault. The only reason I did it was because of this or that. Really right motives, but wrong action. We justify our deeds. Blame it on others. Blame it on God. And thus, the war has continued on this earth ever since. The war in our minds, the war over truth and error, the war over right and wrong, and the war between people. And so they were cast out of the beautiful garden that God created for this earth. And Satan thus became the ruler of this earth. And we see this played out and mentioned in the book of Job. Job chapter 1, verse 6, The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So who was invited to this meeting? Not everybody. The sons of God. So the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. It's a meeting of the sons of God. Now who is the original son of God of this earth? Who is the original representative of this earth? Who does the Bible say? Adam, right? So we look at the genealogies, it goes all the way back, and it says, Seth, the son of Adam, Adam, the son of God. Adam, the original son of God. Adam should have been at this meeting. Adam would have been at this meeting if he did not surrender his position to Lucifer. Well, it's Satan at that point. And so Satan comes to the meeting among the sons of God, representing their various places in the universe. And so he comes there and God asks him, The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking back and forth on it. The earth is mine. I am the ruler of the earth. I am the prince of the earth. I am the son of God of the earth. That's mine. I walk anywhere I want. I go all over it. It's mine. I have dominion over the whole planet. I am the representative of the earth. And have come forth. 
And this is why Yeshua has to come, had to come as the Son of God, as the second Adam, to take the position that was originally given to Adam and stolen by Satan and take it back from Satan to restore the earth to God and take the position of the Son of God here on this earth. And then plays out the whole story in the book of Job. Again, revealing more and more Satan's tactics here on this earth to bring suffering and to bring woe, sickness and pain and destruction and disasters using the elements, earthquakes and tornadoes and death and disease. And he continues that warfare here on this earth today as well. And again, if we don't understand this, if we don't understand what the, the devil has power over here on this earth, again, only with God's permission, but still able to do here on this earth, we won't understand things that take place. Back to Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Woe to us here on this earth because the devil is here with one third of his angels. And he's going around like a roaring lion because he knows he has a short time. So here in just a few verses, it's taken us from before the fall all the way to Satan knowing he has a short time to the very end. So chapter 12 of this book of Revelation now spans the entire history of the devil. John chapter 8, verse 44, he's called a liar and the father of it. As we saw in Revelation, he goes forth to deceive the whole world. So all these books, looking at 10 or more books in the Bible, portions of them, they're all in agreement with each other concerning the devil. He's a liar, he's a deceiver, going forth throughout the whole earth, seeking whom he may destroy. And just as he tried to pull angels away from God, he tries to pull us away from God. And if we think we can't fall, then how did Lucifer get kicked out of heaven? He was already there. How did one-third of the angels get kicked out of heaven? They were already there. They were already in a saved position. They couldn't lose their position. Or if they could lose their, since they could lose their position, then so can we. Just as they had free choice, so do we, and we always will. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. We need to be vigilant, on guard, alert, keen to the devil's attempts and attacks, to know what he tries to do, to know the methods that he uses, to see the methods he used against Eve, to see the methods he used against Job, to see the methods that he used against Yeshua. Again, he didn't. comes in a very deceptive way. We'll see, as an angel of light, he didn't come, again, he comes as a helper. He comes to Yeshua, I'm here to help you. You're hungry, you haven't eaten in 40 days? Look, I got an idea. Turn these rocks into bread. I'm here to help you out. You don't have to go through the hard, oh, you want the kingdoms, of, I'll give you the whole world. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll make it easy for you. I'm here to help you out. And he comes to try and help us out. Oh, you want an easier way to heaven? You want an easier way out of your difficulty? You want more finances? You want less trouble, less pain, less financial heartache and physical struggles? I'll give you an easy way out. So-called easy, but of course his easy way is never the easy way. It leads to destruction. It wasn't easier for Adam and Eve. It was harder. Didn't make them wiser and better. Didn't make them like God. 
He's a liar and a deceiver. But that's how he paints it. It'll be easier this way. The easy gospel. Be vigilant against his attacks, against his lies. Be sober. Have a clear mind. Don't allow it to be destroyed with drugs and alcohol and other things that distract the mind and destroy the mind. Be sober, be clear-minded, clear thinking. Don't harbor negative thoughts and angry thoughts and jealous thoughts. Yeah, as we talked about, you got jealous of God. I want his coveting thoughts. Going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Yeah, he doesn't have a red tail, red suit, and horns. Like an angel of light. Like good. Like helpful. Like godly. Truth mixed with error. That's how he just tried to deceive Yeshua. Quoting the Bible. That's how, he tried to, that's how he deceived Eve. He quoted God, partially. A little bit here and there. Portions out of context. That's how he still comes. Some truth with just a little bit of arsenic. Right? Most times when they poison people, it doesn't taste horrible. It tastes, the drink tastes good. But it only takes a little bit of arsenic to kill them. Poison goes down smoothly, mixed with honey. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We are able to stand. Even with one-third of the angels, even with evil angels behind every rock, even with his masterful deception that he's been honing and Perfecting for thousands of years, studying mankind. But we can, as we put on the whole armor of God, not in our own strength, not in our own righteousness, not in our own clothing, not in our own wisdom, not in our own abilities, not in our own talents, not in our own self-will, but with the whole armor of God. Not just a partial armor, but the whole armor of God. And then we will be able to stand against the deceptions of the devil. And so what are these? Verse 14, stand, belt your waist with truth. There is truth. Believe the truth, the word of God. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us, God. The whole Bible, from beginning to end. As one whole unit. Let that surround your waist. Keep your pants up. Hold you together. Keep you pure. Keep you holy. Keep you on the right path. Belt your waist with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Cover your heart your vital organs with righteousness, with God's righteousness, with right doing, with following the word of God. Cover your feet with the gospel of peace. God's gospel, God's truth, God's everlasting gospel. Walk with it. Make your feet beautiful with it. Walk in his ways. Walk in his peace. Walk in his gospel. taking the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Faith. Lord, give us more faith. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The whole armor of God protecting the head, the chest, the arms, the feet, with the sword, The word of God going on, the others are for defense, and the sword for the word of God for offense, going against the devil, cutting him asunder. God's truth and God's word going forth into battle. And you'll notice there's one part of the body that's not covered. 
and it's the back. Don't run from the devil. We have to stand covered in God's armor, God's righteousness. And face the devil and reject the devil. Draw near to God, resist the devil, and he shall flee. And praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Power of all prayer. Praying by God's strength, by God's Spirit, and God's righteousness, God's covering, God's salvation, God's gospel, God's word, going forth victorious, and we can stand against the devil. We don't have to be deceived. When we have this armor on, all of it, the word of God, truth, righteousness, salvation, gospel, peace, prayer, salvation. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against humans. It's against the devil. And if we don't understand this, again, if we don't fully understand the devil, if we really don't even believe in him, or if we believe in him, but don't believe that he's real, but don't really understand his workings. We'll be killing each other. We'll be using the sword of the word of God against other people. And not against him. We won't understand why we have disagreements with other people. We'll think our battle is with them. It's not about them. Our battle is against the devil. Now he may be using them. But our battle is not against our neighbor or our landlord or our spouse or our tenants or our children or our parents or our siblings. Not against other nations. It's not Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives. That's not our enemy. Again, Satan may use others to annoy us. We need to realize the battle is against the devil. That's our real enemy. That's who we need to be fighting against. And we fight in the armor of God, with truth, with salvation, with the gospel of peace, with love, with prayer, with the word of God. Know our enemy. Know his tactics. Be vigilant. Be sober. Be aware. Be watchful. Be ready. And fight against him. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, referring to Yeshua, he himself likewise shared in the same. The same what? the same flesh and blood that the children have taken on. Why? Why did Yeshua take on the same, shared the same flesh and blood? That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. He already defeated the devil in heaven. He cast him out of heaven. That was easy in his divinity with two-thirds of the angels. He didn't come down here to do the same again. He cast them here. He didn't have to do the same here. What he had to do differently was to defeat him the way you and I have to defeat him. In the same flesh and blood that we have to struggle with. Again, he already defeated him in his divinity. But now he had to show it can be defeated in humanity, trusting in divinity. And thus he's able to destroy death. And destroy, through his death, destroy the devil. Back to Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. 
And I heard a loud voice in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of the Messiah have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. So what casting down are we rejoicing over here? He was already cast down out of heaven. Not that one. But he'd been cast down by Yeshua, who defeated him in his death, living a perfect life, not yielding to the devil, not following him, not obeying him, not sinning. Tempted in all ways like you and I are, but not sinning. He cast him down a second time. And then a third time, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. He's cast down a third time as we overcome through the blood of the Lamb, through the power of the Messiah, through the strength of God's Spirit, through the armor of God that he places upon us. Thus we can rejoice because salvation has come to us, saving us from the devil, saving us from his lies and his deception, saving us from his wiles, saving us from sin and from sinning. He's given us strength in the kingdom of our God and his power has come into our lives as we surrender our lives to the Lord, accept his forgiveness, accept his conversion, accept his transformation in our lives, accept his change of heart, accept his power, accept his armor, accept his righteousness and move forward in his strength. Defeating the devil. Therefore we can rejoice, O heavens, and we go forth loving our lives not to death, being willing to even die for the Lord, whatever it takes, no longer self-absorbed, no longer wanting to eat, to make ourselves better, eat of the tree that God told us not to eat, no longer wanting to exalt self, but giving up, no longer taking, but surrendering. Loving our lives, not to death, willing to die for the Lord. Surrendering all, dying spiritually daily to self and to selfishness, to vanity and vainness, to covetousness and pride, to jealousy and anger, bitterness and wrath, Revenge, discontentment, surrendering it all to the Lord, receiving his forgiveness, receiving his spirit, receiving his truth, accepting our light, lot, lot in life and walking in his ways. So what's going to happen to the devil? The Bible tells us his end is well. Go back to the book of Ezekiel where we were looking at earlier, Ezekiel 28. Verse 16, I destroy you, O covering cherub. God destroys him. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth. He will be destroyed. He will be devoured. He will become ashes upon the earth. And he's in total denial of this. And that's why he told Eve, you won't surely die. Because he'd been telling himself, I won't surely die. I've been cast out of heaven. I've been cast to this earth. But I won't surely die. And he's been perpetuating that lie ever since. Again, there's even professed believers in the Bible that think that the devil's in charge of hell. That he's down there with a pitchfork, poking people and throwing wood into the fire. He's not in charge of hell. He's going to be destroyed in hell. He's going to be turned to ashes. Destroyed, devoured. Once and for all. And thus we can rejoice, O heavens. Because God's salvation has come. And so we've looked at the history of the devil in the midst of Revelation. 
Because understanding him helps us to understand the history of this world, helps us to understand the news that's taking place, helps us to understand ourselves and the thoughts that come into our heads, the battles that wage a good angel on one soldier, the shoulder, the evil angel on another, whispering into our ears, that's reality. That's not just a comic strip. That's what takes place. And all because there was war in heaven and it was cast to this earth. But eventually, it will totally be destroyed. It will totally come to an end. And in the meantime, we can be victorious with the armor of God covered in the blood of the Lamb through the word of our testimony that God gives to us. So as we prepare to pray, if you're going through a battle in your life, if you're in the midst of a war right now, maybe a war in your mind to do something or not to do something, to give something up or not to give it up, to follow God in this way or not to follow God in some way, you're battling over some decision, you're battling over some thought, maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting you of something, and you're battling coming up with excuses, trying to justify it, resisting God, and you want to surrender it. You want to throw your weight on God's side. You want God to come close to you and help you through this battle. In a moment when we pray, draw near to God and let him take control. Let him guide you and direct you. Secondly, if you're in some war, in some battle, maybe some battle here on earth between some person, maybe some disagreement going on, maybe some battle at work or at school or in your house or in your neighborhood, some battle in your life. You're not wrestling against these people anymore. Realize, wrestling, you've come to realization, you're wrestling against the devil. Call it for what it is. Enter into prayer. and Attack the devil who's controlling you in that situation or controlling the other person or both of you and surrender to God and let God break the battle and end the war. And so if you need God to intercede in that type of area in your life, in a moment when we pray, let God step in and do his work and set you free. Third, if you want to be covered with the armor of God, if there's any area of your life that's not covered. Maybe you have the helmet of salvation, but you're not reading the word of God. Maybe you have the word of God, but you're not in all prayer. Maybe you're not taking the gospel on your feet and going forth and taking it to the world. Maybe there's some area that you're not covered. God's righteousness over your heart. Faith covering you and shielding you. Maybe you need more faith. Maybe you're wrestling with discouragement and doubt and doubt regarding God or why God allowed this or why that. Something about God's word you're doubting and discouraged about. We need more faith. We need to be covered with the salvation of God, the armor of God. If there's some area lacking in your life, ask God to cover that area with his armor and go forth into battle. Victorious. Fourth, if you want to go forth in battle against the devil under the banner of the Lord and gain victory after victory through the blood of the Lamb, through the word of your testimony, in a moment when we pray, ask God to fill you with his spirit, to make you victorious, give you his salvation over sin and over the devil, and take you from victory to victory so you can stand against the wiles of the devil. Stand firm. Stand strong moving forward by faith. If any of those areas apply to you, as we pray, let's let God do his work. Or maybe there's some other area God's been ministering your heart and mind about. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, keep us from being deceived by the lies of the devil. Open up your word and your truth to us more and more each and every day. Give us open and receptive hearts to your truth, to your righteousness. Draw us in that manner. Draw us in that direction. Give us eyes and ears and 
to discern right from wrong, truth from lies, draw us to you, draw us in your ways, let us see your face. Give us power to resist the devil, cover us in your righteousness, cover us in your armor, and move us forward into battle, taking the gospel to the world, and warning the world, and making peace. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.